Go ahead and grab your copy of God's Word and turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 1. I know we were in 1 Timothy 3 last week. Um, and if you don't know, what we've been doing is we've been kind of just picking some, some random texts I've wanted to preach for a while as we've just finished a really long track through an Old Testament book in uh, 2 Samuel. Um, and we're going to do this until the first week of December, uh, where we'll begin our Advent through uh, the book of Isaiah. Um, but until then, I've just been uh, selecting some texts that I think are very encouraging. I'm sorry I didn't send a reading list out this week. Um, my, if, you, if you don't know, many of you do and have been very, very kind. My family, whole family had the, the most disastrous of stomach bugs this week, uh, but everybody's much better now. Penny's still got a little bit of congestion, so... So my dear, precious wife, who's the only one who didn't get sick, by the way, which is God's answer to prayer, because she's the only one who's a true caregiver in the house. Um, so that was a, a preserving grace. But um, she's home with, uh, with Penny uh, this morning. Uh, so this is going to take place in a, a sermon you haven't been studying up to yet, but that's okay. I think it's going to be encouraging for you. I will go ahead and tell you that next week, your reading list is just going to be the entirety of the book of James because we're going to preach a sermon that's going to overview the whole book. And so I want you to, to go ahead and write that down. I won't have to send you one this week either. Just read the book of James. It's five chapters. Uh, read a chapter a day if you have to. Um, and so now we're going to come to 2 Timothy chapter 1. I will say this is, this is like, this started as something that was going to have a little bit to do with the fact that it's election week. Um, but then, as you'll notice, it quickly just morphed into something that has nothing to do uh, with the election. Uh, but, you know, vote. Um, that's the, uh, vote to the gov- for the government to uh, reward what is good and punish what is evil. That's, there you go. I know that's controversial, um, but that's the message that I'm willing to stand on uh, this week. Uh, so go ahead and stand with me. We're going to read from 2 Timothy chapter 1. We're going to read verses 13 through 18. Um, regimental flag bearer of the gospel is what we're going to think about today. 2 Timothy chapter 1, uh, verse 13, Paul is writing to Timothy. He says this, he says, Hold fast uh, to the pattern of sound words which you've heard from me in faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. That good thing which was committed to you keep by the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. This you know that all those in Asia have turned away from me among whom are uh, Phygelus and Hermogenes. The Lord grant mercy to the house of Anisiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chain. But when he arrived in Rome, he sought me out very zealously and found me. The Lord grant him that he might find mercy from the Lord in that day. And you know very well how many ways he ministered to me at Ephesus. First Baptist Church of Great Gables, the grass withers, flower fades, but the word of the Lord endures Let's go to the Lord and thank Him for His Word this morning. Heavenly Father, we do thank You and praise You for the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we pray um, that You would cause us to stand up and rally to the cause of the gospel in our day. That we would rally to the content of the gospel itself and to the preaching of the gospel as it takes place in the church. Bless and keep us now as we worship and as we listen. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Well, in the battles of the Civil War, one of the most important positions in a military regiment, both Union and Confederate, was that of regimental flag bearer. 
The job of the regimental flag bearer was twofold. They were to remain close in proximity to the unit commander and they were to hold high the regimental flag. Now, the purpose of this position was also twofold. Number one, it provided a powerful boost to the emotional and spiritual morale of the men. You see, the regimental flag was a crucial symbol for most soldiers. It was an embodiment of all that that soldier held dear. It represented home, land, family, and all that bound such things together. In the heat of the battle, when the soldier would glance up and he would see the regimental flag, he would be reminded of just exactly what it was he was fighting for. It was fuel for the fire. It spurred men on to deeds of valor. Now, the other purpose of the regimental flag was tactical in nature. See, in the throes of war, the battlefield could become a very confused and confusing place. There was noise and smoke. And so in the process of the battle, regiments could become scattered. Vocal commands, even bugle commands could not be heard. So to have a visual rallying point, something the regiment could look at and then organize around, it was essential in the heat of battle. Soldiers were trained to recognize rally around and defend the flag. Well, this made the post of regimental flag bearer very important. It also made it very dangerous. For if the side of the flag was an emotional, spiritual, and tactical rallying point for the regiment, it was also an important and relatively easy target for the enemy. The flag was easy to see, and important to knock out. So, it usually was knocked out. Being the flag bearer was perhaps the most dangerous position on the battlefield. In fact, there are many great stories of valor where the flag bearer would be shot and killed, the flag would go to the ground only to have someone pick it up again and carry it forward into battle only to again be shot and killed and so on. One such account records 26 different times where the flag went down and was picked up and carried again. See, if a a unit wanted to survive and taste victory, they needed a regimental flag bearer. But if an individual wanted to survive the battle, that was probably the last position he would want to take. I say all that by way of introduction because I think there are many fitting parallels between the regimental flag bearer and the one who proclaims the gospel. See, the preaching of the gospel is the great rallying point for the church of Jesus Christ. It is the preaching of the gospel which provides the emotional and spiritual strength for the church. Even more than Just providing it with strength, it is the preaching of the gospel which gives the church its life. It's the preaching of the gospel that provides tactical organization, instructional direction for the church as she goes forth in her spiritual battles. In fact, if the church is going to survive, then the church must have men who will stand up as the regimental flag bearers of the body of Christ who will lift high the message of repentance from sin, faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, and the pattern of new obedience. And yet, 
this great rallying point for the church is also probably the easiest target for the enemy to shoot at. If the church is to survive, it must have the preaching of the gospel. Yet, if a man wants to survive and have ease in this life, he would do well not to pick up that flag. See, I think this illustration really helps us to understand what's going on here in 2 Timothy. See, from the time of his conversion, the Apostle Paul had been one of the great regimental flag bearers of the church. He had been one of the great heralds of the gospel of Christ. He had publicly called men, women, and children to believe in his gospel. He had preached Jesus crucified and risen as the Messiah in the fulfillment of the scriptures. And in doing this, he was an instrument of God used for the salvation of many. Churches had been formed and organized around the preaching of his gospel. New men had been trained and sent out to do the same. And yet, in his role as regimental flag bearer of the gospel, Paul had taken many hits. He'd been persecuted, maligned, abandoned, wounded. And even now, as he writes this letter to Timothy, he's imprisoned for the sake of the gospel, awaiting his impending execution. And as Paul sits in prison, he still rightly sees himself as a bearer of the gospel flag. And with his pen in his life, he's still waving the flag, calling men to rally to him. To rally to his message and to him personally as the bearer of that message. It's part of what he's doing here in this letter. He's saying to, to Timothy and to others, he's saying, rally to me. Rally to the gospel flag and this gospel standard that I bear. He begins the letter of 2 Timothy saying to Timothy, don't be ashamed of me. And he ends the letter by telling Timothy, come by my side and support me. Yet even as Paul makes that call for men to rally to him, he also knows that his time is short. He's still the great regimental flag bearer of the gospel, but he's a mortally wounded flag bearer. So he's calling other men to take up the flag with all its necessity and danger. And so in addition to telling Timothy, rally to me, he's telling Timothy also, you must wave the flag. You must preach the word. You must herald the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what he said from the outset of this letter. In 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 6, one of the first commands he gives, he says, Therefore, I remind you, written to Timothy, to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Literally, fan the flame to stir up that gift which is within you of the teaching of the word of God. See, Paul knows, as Timothy does, that as he stirs up this gift, then the spiritual battle will be directed at him in ever-increasing ways. So he says to him in chapter 1, verse 8, a couple verses later, he says, Therefore... Do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner. He's telling Timothy, don't be ashamed of the flag itself, the substance of our faith, the testimony of the Lord. And don't be ashamed of me, the old flag bearer. But he goes on to say, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God. 
in my suffering. Share in it for the sake of the gospel. Rally to me as the wounded standard bearer of the gospel. Take up your position next to me. Support me, but also take up that same gospel banner. Preach it, teach it, and suffer for its sake. So as we come to our text we're examining in verse 13, Paul's just continuing on this line of argument. In fact, he's going to give Timothy two commands in our text. He says in verse 13, he says, hold fast the pattern of sound words which you've heard from me. And then in verse 14, he says, that good thing which was committed to you, keep by the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. So, Keep and hold fast. These two commands flow out of the commands he was just given in verse 6 and verse 8. The command to stir up, to fan the flame of the gift that was given to him. And the the command in verse 8 to keep. I'm sorry, in verse 8 to not be ashamed of his testimony. And so first we see in our text, we see that Timothy is to hold fast the sound words given by Paul. Hold fast the sound words given by Paul. That's that's the first command that uh, that Paul gives Timothy in this context of coming to him to be a regimental flag bearer. See, part of how Timothy is going to stir up this gift, he's going to fan this gift of preaching God's word into flame. Part of how he will not be ashamed of the testimony of the Lord nor of Paul is going to be simply by holding fast the pattern of sound words given to him from Paul. Words that are all about... The testimony of the Lord. Okay, but our question would be, well then, how does he do this? How would he hold fast that pattern? What does that even mean? Well, I think he does this in two ways. First, I think he's going to hold fast the sound words given by Paul by continuing to teach the same words he received from Paul. That's simple enough, right? Timothy is charged here to teach the gospel message concerning the Life, burial, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He has to teach how Jesus died on the cross for our sins. How he rose from the grave. He must teach how Jesus' death and resurrection abolished death. Bringing life and immortality through the light of the gospel. He must teach that repentance and forgiveness of Sins is available through faith in Christ. He must teach about the new biblical pattern of obedience that's expected for all those who truly believe. How everyone who names the name of the Lord Jesus must depart from iniquity. He must not be ashamed of this teaching which he has received. And he must continue to pass it on through his very own teaching. But the second way to follow this pattern of sound words is not only by continuing to teach the same words he received from Paul, but it's by following the pattern of the words he teaches. Timothy is not simply just to repeat the same words. He's to follow the pattern of the words he teaches. He must follow Paul's pattern in teaching. Now, he he must follow it, yes, but the point here in holding fast to the patterns, he also has to practice it. He has to practice it. He must be a man of repentance and faith in Christ. He must walk in newness of life. He must flee youthful passion and depart from iniquity. In essence, what Paul is saying to Timothy here is very similar to what he said to him back in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 16, where he said, Take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. Continue in them. So, 
Paul not only commands first to hold fast the pattern of sound words that he was given from Paul. If he's not going to be ashamed of the gospel, if he's going to stir up this, this gift that he's been giving, the preaching of the word, in order to be a regimental flag bearer for the gospel. And he's, he must hold fast to that pattern of sound words. Secondly, he commands you must not only do these things, but you must do them with a level of diligence because you recognize the nature of the battle you're in. He says you must not only follow this pattern, he says, but you must keep the good thing that has been committed to you. You must hold fast and you must keep, he says. It's one thing to be told to march out into this field and hold up this flag. It's another thing to be told to do these things in light of the fact that such teaching and living will be attacked. So Paul says, it's not enough, Timothy, to wave the flag. You must keep it. You must guard it because there will be people who are trying to shoot you down. There are people who want to capture the flag, take it from you, and then use it for their own purposes. There are those, Timothy, who want to corrupt your teaching and your very life. So you not only want to teach it and obey it, but you have to keep it and guard it. You have to know how precious it is. You have to be intentional, watchful, but you cannot be fearful. You cannot try to keep it up by hiding it under a bushel to keep it safe. No, you have to make the flag public. You have to bear witness to all who will hear. The gospel flag must be kept, but it also must remain a beacon in the midst of the battle. And of course, this, this, is, this is hard. How can one preach this gospel and live this life, making it as public as possible, all the while keeping people from within the church and without from seeking to destroy it? Paul answers the question of how you do that, even as he gives Timothy the calling to do it. He says, you're to do this in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus, and you do this by the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. Now, in saying you do this in the love and faith which are in Christ Jesus, what, what Paul's really saying is, Timothy, you have to preach and live the gospel by the power of the gospel. You have to preach and live the gospel by the power of the gospel. Timothy, you do not do these things in your own strength. You do not do these things as an effort to earn God's favor but you do it because in Christ you already have God's favor. You live this way, proclaim these things, because even when we were sinners, rebels, and self-serving cowards, God had mercy on us. God loved us. He sent His Son to die for our sins so that we might be saved, that we might no longer live for ourselves, but for the One who loved us and gave Himself up for us. This is what we believe, Timothy. This is the solid rock in which we stand. This is the faith and love by which we live, preach, and follow our God in this calling, Timothy. You have to preach and live the gospel, but you can only do so by the power of the gospel. What's more, he also says, is God has not only sent His Son to save us, but He sent His Spirit to indwell us. The second thing he tells him, he tells him, do this in the love and faith which are in Christ Jesus, meaning he must do this by the power of the gospel. But he also says it has to be by the Holy Spirit who dwells in you, because God has not only sent his son to save us, but his spirit to indwell us. That's part of the message we preach. You know that, right? Is that 
the spirit of the resurrected Christ actually comes to live within the believer and empower us to do the very things that God calls us to do. Empowers us to preach the word, to not be ashamed, to share in suffering, to follow the pattern of sound words in our teaching and living, to keep the good thing which has been committed to us. And so Paul is saying, Timothy, Timothy, rally to me, stand with me, please don't be ashamed of me, Timothy, take up your position right next to my flag and then you take up the flag and carry it forward. You step forward, Timothy, as the preacher, you raise the standard, you hold it high, enduring the suffering and shame. You do this in the faith and love which is in Christ Jesus and by the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. So so that's really the the command and the call that's laid on Timothy in our text. But I I want to shift our attention now to, to something Paul does next. Paul then sets before Timothy two different ways people have responded to Paul's gospel proclamation. That's what he does really through verses 15 through 18. Paul lays before Timothy two entirely different ways people have already responded to Paul's gospel proclamation. The first is the path of turning away. That's the first way people have responded to Paul's call to rally to him, to not be ashamed of him, to keep the pattern of sound words that he's teached. It's the path of turning away. Many have engaged in this path, but it's particularly embodied in this text by these two men. Phagellus and Hermogenes. We don't know, by the way, if anybody ever gets my manuscripts at any point in your life, you're just going to die laughing at the way I break down those names. Um, Because I wrote F-U-H and then the word jealous for Phagellus to know how to pronounce that. That's the work I do for you, Bob. That's just for you, buddy. And you read, Hermogenes is H-E-R-M-A dot J-U-N and then the word knees, like your knees, Hermogenes. Anyways you got to do what you got to do. Sometimes it works. All right. Who, who are these people? Well, we really don't know much about them. We, we don't know a whole lot of who they were, what their previous relationship to Paul was, was like. But, but given the context of the first chapter, remember what Paul's doing here. He, he's calling Timothy to a life. And thinking about the warning he gives in the context of the first chapter, it seems reasonable to say that these men must have been men who were ministerial associates of Paul. right? That, that they were men who were once with him, but they turned away from him. And the reason given in the context is most likely because they were ashamed of Paul and his sufferings and his imprisonment. They saw Paul suffering for the sake of the gospel and decided, yeah, uh, we, we don't want any part of that. And since Paul was suffering for the gospel, to to turn away from him in his suffering was really to turn away from the gospel itself. See, these men were like soldiers who were headed for the battlefield. They were proudly marching in formation behind the flag, happy to show off their shiny uniforms, to wave to the women in the crowd until the shots started being fired, until the bullets started whizzing by. And then they started to realize... I think they're shooting at the flag bearer, that guy right next to us. And I think they're shooting at him because he's the flag bearer. So the flag bearer gets hit. He drops to a knee. He calls for aid. And then they realize, look, guys, if we go to him in this state, they're going to shoot us too. So they step away from the flag. They wander into the smoke of battle, thinking there they will find safety from 
the shame, the persecutions, and the sufferings that are afflicting Paul. Such are those in Asia. Such are Phagellus and Hermogenes. The testimony to Timothy could not have been clearer. Timothy, don't do this. (laughs) To me, or to the testimony of the Lord, don't do this to yourself. Timothy, there is no safety in the fog of war. There is only ultimate safety in rallying to the flag of the gospel. So Timothy, in this desperate hour, rally to the flag of the gospel. So these two men are contrasted here by the second path. The path of Onesiphorus. You can get my manuscript and see how I did that one later. This second path is to identify with Paul in his chains. So the first path is the path of turning away. The second path is the path of identifying with Paul in his chains. We read Onesiphorus arrived in Rome. We don't know why he was there either. Whether he happened to be there or whether he heard that Paul was there. But in any case, the text says he searched for Paul earnestly. He must have gone about asking questions. Hey, do you know where Paul is? Can you, can you tell me where I might find the Apostle Paul? You know, fiery guy, tent maker, always talking about the Jesus fellow. I'd like to go see him in that context. Those were dangerous questions to ask. It was no small thing to go out of your way to associate with a man who was on death's row as a danger to the state. A danger of guilt by association was very real. And so why did Anisiphorus do this? Why did he search for Paul earnestly? Well, the answer seems to be he knew why Paul was in prison and was suffering. It was the very reason Paul identifies here in the first chapter of this book. Because he's an apostle. Because he preaches the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. So Anisiphorus seemed to know all this, and yet he's not ashamed. He's willing to identify with Paul and his chains because he identifies with Paul's gospel. He identified with Jesus and the saving testimony that Paul preached about him. And so he gladly, earnestly sought Paul out, went to him again and again. He rallied to him in order to refresh and render service to him. And therefore, Paul was looking forward to the mercy of God coming upon his friend. That's what he says in the rest of the verse there. He says, I think he says this, by the way, because he knows Jesus' own promise of giving mercy to the merciful. You know those promises too, don't you? The Beatitudes come to mind, right? Matthew chapter 5, verse 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Or as he says in Matthew 25, when he says this, he says in verse 36, I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. And then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in or naked and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick and in prison and come to you? By the way, Paul's writing this from prison. Remember that. And the king will answer and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. Jesus' response to that parable is then to enter into the joy of your master. See, Paul knows these promises. He knows what his friend has done for them in, in faith. And so he says, may the Lord have mercy on him in that day. It's kind of a benediction, a, a pronouncement of what he knows will come for his friend. 
The point here is not to speculate any further about these men. The, the point here is to see that these men had obvious application to the life of Timothy. To the life of Timothy. Right? Paul says to Timothy, don't be ashamed of me or my suffering since I suffer for the gospel. Don't be like those guys in Asia. Right? Don't be like Phygelus and Hermogenes, but stand with me personally as one who is called to preach this gospel. Rally to me just like Anisiphorus did. Timothy, stir up this gift of preaching the gospel. Hold fast this pattern of sound words I've given you in your own teaching and conduct. Keep the deposit, the good thing. Guard the message of the gospel. Guard your call to preach it. Hold the flag high. Defend it. Call others to it. Those are Paul's words to Timothy. Now the question we must have, therefore, as we close, would be, how do we apply those words to us in this day and age? Well, I... I want to say, obviously, at the very outset in various ways, listen, we're all called to heed the very same call that Timothy was given, aren't we? I mean, first and foremost, I want to call on each and every one of you by the power of the gospel, by the love and faith which are in Christ Jesus, by the grace he pours out to sinners like us, by the power of the Holy Spirit that he has given to his people to indwell them. Let us all rally to the gospel flag and not be ashamed of it. And and first and foremost, I would say that comes in letting us not be ashamed of the message of the gospel. Be the first application I would give for you. Let us not be ashamed of the message of the gospel. That message that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, therefore deserving His wrath and condemnation, that all men are in desperate need of repentance. See, that in its very self is a rarity in our day. You want to stand with that? You want to proclaim that? People are going to shame you. But we do not need to be ashamed. We stand on the fact that Jesus alone was stricken, smitten, and afflicted. He alone is the Savior of all. That men esteemed Him not, but He was crushed for our iniquities and risen from the dead. He's victorious over sin, death, and the devil. And He alone can save. We must not be ashamed of that. And again, that's a rarity in our day and age. You want to stand with that? People are going to shame you. But we need not be ashamed. Secondly, though, I think we need to not only take our stand around the gospel itself and the life of biblical obedience that flows from it. Second, we need to, we need to rally around the flag bearers. We need to rally around those who boldly preach the gospel. Now, you might find this interesting, but I really think that first and foremost, this means we need to rally around the Apostle Paul. And you would say, how, how would we do that? Apostle Paul has long gone, been in heaven. Well, we rally around him and the other writers in the New Testament. There's, there's a real movement. Listen to me. This is important. There's a real movement in our day to try and drive a wedge between Jesus and Paul. To say, you know, I follow Jesus. And, but the Apostle Paul, man, he, he especially when he starts to talk about things like gender or sexuality, I, I'm... I'm starting to think that that Paul is just a cranky first century patriarchal male. I'm going to stick with what Jesus says. I'm not so sure about the Apostle Paul. Brothers and sisters, remember, Paul is an apostle by the will of God. He is the authoritative herald of the testimony of the Lord. His gospel, in all of its fullness, 
is Jesus' gospel. There is no wedge between Jesus and Paul or Jesus and the rest of the New Testament witness to Jesus. To rally around one is necessary to rally around the other. So we not only need to rally to the message of the gospel, we need to rally around the apostolic witness. But of course we then need to rally around brothers who are giving themselves to the preaching of the gospel in our day and age. To let us not be ashamed of them. When the world maligns them, when they're called to suffer for the sake of the gospel, that we would come to their aid, that we would be identified with them in our shame and suffering. Like Anisiphorus, may we be a means of encouragement, support, refreshment, nourishment, and strength. And let me encourage you, church. It's no accident that I brought this to you on a week where one of our Regimental flag bearers of the gospel is doing that very thing. And now listen, here's, here's the thing. Is, is Pastor Justin went as we give to Catalyst Missions. But do you know, Brother Johnny and Lord willing, myself, are planning to go in January. And in order for that to happen, we're going to need your support. And, and not just financial support. But there's a real likely possibility that you'll have two pastors and a prominent trustee and Sunday school teacher missing for about 10 days. Why? Because we're going to rally around gospel flag bearers. And and that means we're going to need each and every one of you to encourage and support us. By, By holding fast here, by if we're taking the flag over there and raising it high, well... Somebody's got to raise it here. And somebody's got to rally around the people who are raising it here. Not sit in their pews and think, well, the pastors aren't going to be there, so I'm going to stay home. But rally around and say, we're not so much about the flag bearer at First Baptist Church of Grey Gables. We're about the gospel flag being raised high. So we rally to support the cause. And the flag's being laid down because pastors are going to encourage people overseas. We want to pick it up and we want to wave it. Continue to wave it. My encouragement to you, you do this real thing. Listen, we're also not foreign to real difficulties in this church. Many of you are new here, and I'm so thankful that some of you haven't had to go go through some of the difficulties that many of us who have been here for quite some time have gone through. But I want to say even over the past couple of years, which have been easily the hardest of this young pastor's ministry, I want to say thank you again for rallying around your pastors as we herald the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, It's a sweet thing to have a a first grader and a a four-year-old who now read, right? Because one of our fun traditions we had at uh, the Sunday after uh, Pastor Appreciation Month is reading every one of your cards and identifying who's who and the many gifts you shower upon your pastors and uh, and now uh, that process takes almost a full day because our kids are desperate to read whose names are so-and-so. Oh, this is, oh, this, is this person. Oh, oh, look, they gave you this, Daddy. This is so sweet. And it, it warms my heart. And again, as, as wonderful as those gifts are, uh, more importantly, what, what means the world to us is your, um, your constant encouragement to rally around the pastors here. It is a, a source of strength for me. I... My dear sister, Miss Phyllis, who's going to hate that I call her out, she will text me every single Monday, every single Monday for the past six years with an encouragement. That holds this regimental flag bearer of the gospel up, I'll tell you that. 
And she's not the only one. But many of you, in the way that you encourage our family, from Justin and I, we, we say thank you. We, we praise the Lord for that. Thank you for supporting and the preaching of the gospel as it goes forth in truth and power. I'm thankful that as a pastor of this church, we can say the same things about you that Paul said about Anisiphorus. That in our hours of need, First Baptist Church of Grey Gables rallied to me, supported me, refreshed me, and rendered great service to me. Again, there may come a time frequently, well, we'll need that again. In fact, I foresee that we'll need it often. But thank you that this church embodies that. And finally, I want to say for some of you, I know I did that thing, didn't I, where I said we were closing and you all got your hopes up? Now we're closing, sort of. I do want to finish by, by saying for some of you, the Lord either has or perhaps will call you in a particular way to take up the flag and to preach the gospel. I want to say to you directly, let the pattern of faithful words that have been handed down from Jesus and the apostles through the word of God come to you. May you declare that message of Jesus Christ crucified and risen. May you call all men, women, and children to repentance and faith in Christ. May you call believers to a life of faithful obedience in accordance with the word of God. May you embrace this life not only as something that you tell others, but embrace it for yourself that it becomes the teaching that you live by, that you believe you who are called to proclaim the gospel. May you bear the flag of the gospel through your great trials, tumult, and tears, that you would finish like Paul finishes his race, conclude your part in the battle, lay your flag down for other men to take it up and carry it forward until that day when the trumpet sounds, the Lord returns, and the battle is no more. I just want to conclude by saying, First Baptist Church of Great Gables, as it has been for so many years, may it be until the Lord Jesus Christ returns. That by the power of God's love and grace at work in us, may we be a church that in ever-increasing ways rallies to the message of the gospel, supports the preachers of the gospel, and lifts oh so high the royal banner of Jesus Christ to this community, this city, this state, and this world. May it be so. Would you stand as we close this morning? Oh, Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Lord, we pray that you would give us grace to stand with Jesus. To stand with the biblical testimony about Jesus. To stand with the life of fidelity devoted to him. That we would have the discernment to know when men in our day and age are preaching the gospel in faithfulness, and when they are, Lord, we would rally to them and support them. We would do so for the glory of your name, for the good of your church. Now, Father, as, as many will attend rallies in the upcoming weeks, Lord, that we would first and foremost rally to the proclamation of the gospel. We certainly pray for the leaders of our country we pray for those who do not have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, that they would, by repentance and faith, turn from their sins and trust in you. 
And Lord, give us grace in this hour to not fix our hope on man, to not even fix our hope on any legislation, to fix our hope solely on the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is a hope that is immovable, and it's a hope that remains. Thank you, Lord, for this work, and thank you for this wonderful church. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's come our time to our invitation, and invitation hopefully is, is clear for you. Um, rally to the gospel flag, right? We rally to the gospel flag. Our hope remains steadfast in it. Um, and thank you uh, for how you've done that in this pastor's life and do it in ever-increasing ways. Think about um, the ways in which your life reflects the sound pattern of teaching that's been given to you. Um, and if it doesn't, then, then, then share that with somebody and get some accountability and uh, repent and confess. We Look at the model of worship, grow, serve that we have for you. Hold fast to that. That is the way in which we display Christ's worthiness. It's the way that your pastors have encouraged that we truly believe is the best way for you to follow, uh, to fulfill what we believe the Great Commission is in making disciples. And so rally to the gospel flag in a world that's ever increasingly hostile to it. Um, do not be ashamed of the great salvation which we have in Christ. Uh, for those of you who may not be a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, you've heard the gospel displayed and proclaimed even this morning. The question is, what will your response be? There are only two responses. There is belief and unbelief. You will, by faith, the gift of the Holy Spirit, turn from your sins and trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ that he's purchased for you. Uh, in, in defeating sin and taking upon sin on the cross of Calvary, or you will continue to reject it in your unbelief and instead serve yourself. And the question is clear. Whom will you serve? Will you rally to the gospel flag? Or will you be like Phagellus and Hermogenes? When the bullets start flying, you'll say, oh, I didn't know this was going to bring suffering. I didn't know this was going to bring hurt in my life. I instead want ease and comfort. Therefore, I must get out. My prayer is that you would be more like Onesiphorus, who showed true fruit and evidence in his life of being a Christian by rallying to those who are preaching and proclaiming the gospel. If there's anything we can help you with or any way we can encourage you this morning, any way we can share in even more fullness the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ to you this morning, we'll have brothers and sisters down front who would love that opportunity to share with you today. Do not leave this place without knowing where you stand with the Lord. Have those conversations. Walk through them with us. We'd love nothing more than to have someone come to faith in Jesus this morning.